If you'll stand with me this morning as we read from the Word of the Lord. We'll be reading from Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. This is the Word of the Lord to us this morning. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Lord, I pray that your word, our understanding of your word, our understanding of you, God, would transform our practical living. Lord, that when we understand you, understand what you have done for us, that it would result in dramatic transformation, not just on the inside, but on the outside. Lord, I pray that our lives would magnify and honor you. Pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would give me words and strength and um, wisdom this morning. I pray that our ears would be ready to hear, or that we would have hearts ready to um, receive your word, the, the implanting of your word as a seed in our hearts, that it would bring forth fruit that would um, be... Not just a fruit in this world, but a fruit that would last into eternity. Father, we want to treasure you above all things. We pray your presence would be with us. Pray for the kids here today. Just pray, Lord, your presence over them. You would guide them and give them, Lord, ears to hear. That they would be compelled to understand the faithfulness of your word. Just as each of us as adults We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last couple weeks, we have seen kind of a a theological perspective to being dead with Christ and raised with Christ. We've seen the importance of doctrine. But when we begin this section... In next week's sermon, we see the practical implications of being dead with Christ and being raised with Him. Because it is not enough for believers to believe the right things. Belief always results in action. There's no ability to separate the two. Faith is an active verb. It is not a passive verb where you just hope something happens. When we believe what God has said, it will lead to difficult calls, important important 
understanding. And if we as believers believe the Word of God, it will transform not only our hearts, but it will transform our lives. And that's what Paul is getting at here, starting in verse 5. In this section, we have three imperatives. By imperatives, I mean commands. They are not optional. Christians should not look at these and say, well, uh, I'll do this if I feel about it. But no, because we are dead to the world, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 20, and chapter 3, verse 3, we see that if you have died with Christ, or verse 3, if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. These are important statements for us. If we believe we are following Jesus, we have died with Him. And because of that, in verse 5, we have the title of our message, Be Killing Sin. Be Killing Sin. That title comes from a very famous quote by John Owen. John Owen said, Be Killing Sin or Sin will be killing you. There's no in-between. Following Christ is not always easy. And that's, that's difficult sometimes for us to realize because the gospel that is preached commonly on the street corner or even at churches is, judge not lest you be judged. Just love people. Okay, what does that mean? When you say love people, do you mean tell them the truth even if they don't want to hear it? Is that what you mean? Or by love people, do you say just just treat them how they want to be treated? Is that love? Not if you care for their souls. But Paul is saying, you have come to Christ... You believe that you have died with Christ, that you are now walking with Him? Well, you need to be putting to death. Right here in verse 5. Because it's this therefore, again, is all relating to the previous being raised with Christ, but also to verse 20 through 23 of chapter 2. Verse 5, in the NASB it says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Literally, it is put to death the members of your earthly body. Does that mean you, we all need to go commit suicide? Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Maybe he's referring or, or getting a little idea from Matthew chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me. Here Jesus is preaching at the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to dealing with lust. And he says some things that aren't super popular. Starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said... 
you shall not commit adultery. But I said to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is laying down the, the meaning of this text from the Old Testament. And then in verse 29, he says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to go to hell. What's interesting, he deals first. He says, this is a heart issue, right? Because he says, if he looks with lust, not that he... But what is he saying? He's saying, be serious about cutting off sin. Is he literally saying, if you deal with lust, you need to cut your eyes out? Does that make, does that, will that fix the problem? No, why? Because the problem is here. Right? Paul's dealing with that in Colossians, right? They're, they're saying in verse 23, you know, if you do these things in self-made religion, that that'll... That'll, that'll fix it. If you, if, you, if you deny yourself all these physical things, then that'll fix the problem. That's not what Paul or Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is you need to not give opportunity for those things. You need to be serious about cutting off opportunity for sin. This idea of members is is directly related to the physical body. And it's not surprising that when he talks about killing, he he starts out with the sin of immorality or really sexual immorality. You want to cut that off? Well, then make get rid of that TV possibly. The amount of sexual, sensual advertising and, and programming on TVs is insane. Well, not in, it is insane. It's, but our world thrives on sexual immorality. You know, Paul's writing in, in Colossians in a time when sexual immorality was the norm. Not much different than today, except you can access pornography very easily. This, is, this word translated immorality in the NASB and sexual immorality, I believe, in King James, is the word from which we get the word pornography. It's porneo. And this word is directly affecting our walks with God. This immorality is an action. It's not just a thought. When he says impurity next, impurity is, is really the, the, the impetus for sexual immorality, right? You have impure thoughts and that leads to sexual immorality. And for believers... We have to be serious about killing sin. 
serious about putting to death these things of the past. Because if we aren't killing it, it will be killing us. But just think about our world that we live in. The billboards, when we go on trips, it's like, I have to be like constantly on guard. Billboards, things that kids can see on the side of the road. Or, like I said, ads. Watch a football game and, and tell me if there's any ads in there that are promoting sexual immorality. A lot. Perfume ads. Have you ever seen a perfume ad and you're just like, what is this about? Same thing. It's amazing how you can go and uh, apparently drinking Budweiser will make you so popular with the ladies. But that's, that's how the ads, they make it seem like your life is going to be amazing and incredible and you'll have all this, this sensual lifestyle. And if you get, get the, the clothing brand, so we don't have a TV in our house, but that doesn't mean we don't watch anything. But now, you know, YouTube, if you've, they have so many ads on there, half the time you just have to be like, refresh the whole page. This is the good thing about YouTube is you can refresh and typically it will not bring up an ad the second time. But sometimes you're just like, what? Why is this? Why is this on here? Or, or YouTube, uh, Facebook, those of you who are on Facebook, how many ads do you get in your... Now Facebook is like 75% ads and 5% friends and who knows what the other stuff is, political stuff. But there is so many ads that you're just like, why is this on my Facebook But we're inundated as a society. We have made sex the, the pinnacle of happiness. And because of that, sexual immorality is prevalent all over. I was watching this, um, I don't know what you would call it. I, I guess a there's this uh, sheriff in Florida who gives updates about arrests that they've been making and he was doing a whole thing on people they caught in a sting trying to lure minors. Not digging minors, I mean young women. And it is incredible to see the destitute nature of mankind. When we let sexual immorality control our lives, it will affect every part of our lives. There is even an ex-judge, ex-judge from Illinois, who was caught in this scan. He had actually worked for a sheriff before he became judge, and yet he was choosing this that he knew was wrong. When we aren't killing sin, it will be killing us. 
By the end of this sermon, you're going to be like, why did you have to say that so many times? Because this is the reality of the Christian life. The devil wants us to give in. He wants us to say, well, that's just the norm. Everyone deals with it. We don't have to fight it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil knows that if we embrace sexual immorality and impurity, then we will be unfit for the kingdom. That does not mean that Christ cannot deliver us, but He didn't deliver us so we can go back in to sin and to live in sin. Because why? We are dead. And He's going to give us some reasons. So not only do we... We've put to death immorality, sexual immorality, but also impurity, the, the thoughts. We need that our thoughts to be renewed, our mind to be renewed. When those impure thoughts come up, what, is our, what should it be our first response? Those aren't mine. Take captive, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Because you may not be dealing with sexual immorality yet, but if you're dealing with impurity and you're not fighting, it will lead to sexual immorality. He goes on, he says, passion. This is desire. For those things that are not of God. We can be passionately pursuing Christ, yes. But he's talking about a passionate pursuit of self-interest. You're passionately pursuing sin. We need to be killing that. What that, what does that, that look like? This word passion can be translated lust. And as it is translated lust in the King James Version. So this lust is a heart problem. So the idea of cutting it off is to destroy those thoughts. To not let them stay. When those thoughts come... Instead of dwelling on them, cut them off. Because that's the issue. As believers, it's easy to say, and the world wants to do this, well, you know, if I, if I order my life in a, a particular way, then I can be a good person, I can have a good life, right? Isn't that how, how a lot of people look at the world? I've been reading the biography of Alexander Hamilton, and here was a man who, when it came to intellectual pursuits, there were fewer men who had greater understanding, especially in the financial realm. realm. But he was constantly pursuing this desire to be intellectually good, but his moral life was 
terrible. And finally, in his life, you can see from beginning to where I am thus far that he had the move from lust to impure thoughts to sexual immorality to the point where he was cheating on his wife. And that led to even other issues. Why? Because he did not... He was seeking to improve himself of his own strength. It wasn't about relationship with God. And this can be us too. If we're not careful, lust and impurity... Sexual morality will pervade our life if we're not in relationship with Christ. Because He is the only one who can transform our hearts. But if we're not spending time with Him, if we're not making Him our hope and our peace, then we can end up like this. We love sin instead of Christ. He goes on, evil desire. This idea of desires that are against God, whether they're towards other people. You know, oftentimes lust is an evil desire for the wrong thing especially in the sexual realm. Something that is not of God, but is desired nonetheless. Our world thrives on this idea of novelty. They say with pornography that your entry might be something normal, not saying it's right, but that won't be enough. If you are constantly consuming this trash, eventually normal isn't enough. You need something more novel, something more forbidden. And that's this idea that as, as, as believers in the world, when the, when the world is living, it's a desire for those things that are forbidden. As Christians, we should desire those things that are pleasing to God, not forbidden by God. And that evil desire will lead to greed. It's, it's interesting, you have a lot of overtones here of sexual sin, but with that comes the greed for money. All of these things together. Lust isn't always sexual. It is sometimes for money, you know, covetousness, which is what greed here. A lust for power. A lust for anything that is not given to you by God. And all of these things amount to idolatry. Do you see that at the end of verse 5? All of these things. Idolatry. 
You say, well, what does sexual immorality have to do with idolatry? Well, look at all the pagan religions. In the time of Colossae, guess, guess what their worship consisted of? Sexual orgies. I know that does, that's not very uh, child-friendly, but it's the truth. They had prostitutes at the temples. And that's how you worshipped these gods. Who do you think these gods worshipped? Ourselves. This is self-made religion. Self-made religion. This is all that Paul is attacking. These religions are all about you. If God is not your Lord, then you will be. You worship money. You'll worship pleasure. You'll worship anything but God. And that is idolatry. We cannot create a God after our own likeness. Why is it so important for us to be putting to death sin? Putting to death the members of our body? Well... He gives us two reasons in verse 6 and verse 7. First, he says, for, obviously, we've talked about this before, but when we see for, this is a ground clause. This is a, a reason. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Number one reason why we should be killing sin is because it will honestly and every single time Bring the wrath of God. It, our world doesn't like that idea. Many in the church say, well, you shouldn't tell people about the wrath of God. Yes, Paul, this is the first reason, he says, to be killing sin. To not be giving into sexual immorality. To, to not be dwelling on impure thoughts and, and lust. Desiring what is wicked and greed. We shouldn't be doing that because they bring the wrath of God. Why do they bring the wrath of God? Because it's disobedience to God. When we choose to disobey God, we become the sons of disobedience. Faith in God leads to obedience, not disobedience. So the first reason we should be putting to death these things is because of the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is not a light thing. I was reading in Revelation 8, and it's Revelation 8 is the beginning of the seventh seal being broken. It's interesting that when the seal is broken, there is a half hour moment of silence well moments I guess of silence before the wrath of God begins to be poured out I thought that was really interesting God does not delight in the death of the wicked I think that was a a telling sign that here the seventh seal of wrath to be poured out is preceded by a moment of silence We should not delight in the death of the wicked, but the wrath of God will 
come upon those who disobey God. Those who delight in sexual immorality. Those who delight in impure thoughts. Those who delight in lusting after the things of this world, no matter what it may be. Those who delight in the wicked desires of the heart. And those who are covetous, looking for wealth and money and fame. God's wrath will come. This should motivate us as believers to share the good news because the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience wherever we are. These things, right? He says, for because of these things, because of those sins, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We live in the midst of a world full of these things. If you wanted to define our culture currently, there's a list right here. So to deny that God's wrath is going to come upon this nation in some way, shape, or form is to not deny the justice of God. But we should not delight in His wrath. We should delight in Him and desire to see our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers come to Christ. Because if they are in Christ, the wrath of God will not come upon them. We all have family and friends who aren't following Christ. And I know for many of us, that's something we pray about often. Kids and grandkids, extended family. But it's not only because of the wrath of God. He also says in verse 7, And in them you also once walked. This was you. That's what he's saying. When you were living in them. When you lived in this world. That, that was you. But remember, you're dead. That's not you anymore. You don't have to succumb to these sins anymore. Because you're in Christ. When you died with Christ, you died to the things of this world. You don't have to submit yourself to those things anymore. Because you're a child of God. You've been raised with Christ. Your mind should be set on Christ. You should be seeking Him. Are we still walking in this world? In the way that He's talking about? Are we still living in sin? Maybe we need to be born again. Because if we are continuing to live in these sins, we need to ask God to change our hearts. Because we've died with Christ and we're raised with Him. And this should not be a, a, a definition of who we are. Because we're His. 
But that's not all that we need to be putting to death. Verse 8, we have our second imperative, our second command. He says, but now you also put them all aside. What's all? Well, I think he's talking not only about verse 5, but also here in verse 8. This idea of put them all aside is put them off, almost like garments. Put them, put them away. Get rid of them. Those are not yours anymore. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Anger. Where where does anger come from? The heart. This is a, a way of living. Have you ever met somebody that's just constantly angry? I have. No offense, one of them was really short and he drove a big truck. (laughs) We all know the Napoleon complex ideal. I've never had that problem because I'm kind of tall. But, um, (laughs) but, no, we, we all know someone who is constantly living in anger. You couldn't make them happy if you gave them everything they ever wanted. Because they have a heart problem. It's a way of life. Remember, the Apostle Paul said for Christians that we should not let... Let the sun go down on our anger. Does that mean that all anger is is wrong? No. What he's saying is there is righteous anger. Jesus did. Remember, he he went in the temple and he was angry. Why? Because they were blaspheming God and they were using his temple to make money. And what did he do? He flipped tables. I mean, that man, that just doesn't line up with judge not lest you be judged. Jesus had no problem judging sin. You whitewash tombs. Oh, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? Come on, Jesus. That doesn't fit the, the profile of the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, sorry, not the Bible. The Jesus of America. The Jesus of America would never judge someone. No, he did. Jesus hated hypocrisy. But anger is, a, is a, a choice, and it often leads to bitterness, right? Or could be the result of bitterness. They're kind of interconnected, right? If you, if you feel, feel slighted by someone, offended by someone, it leads to anger. And that anger eventually leads to the second thing on this list, wrath. Wrath is an outburst of anger. This is what happens when anger is within you. You bring out wrath. 
You start spewing anger. Reminds me in in the Hebrew text, when they would describe someone as angry, it's a very... They don't have a word for anger. It's actually descriptive. It's his or her nose is hot. Have you seen that happen? Somebody, when they get angry, what happens to their face? Turns all red. Wow, they're so mad. They're, oh, all the blood rushes to their face because they're so angry. It's interesting, these six issues here, or five, all have a very, an underlying condition and a result, right? Because anger leads to wrath. You're not going to be acting wrathfully towards your friend if you're not angry at them. But because of your anger, you act in that way. The next double is malice. Malice. It is a desire for the bad of someone else. It's like a malignant desire to see the downfall of someone else. Does that that sound Christian? Should we desire that for someone, even the wicked? Oh, I just said we shouldn't, right? It's sometimes hard, though. When somebody speaks evil of you, or maybe you did a job for somebody and they threaten you with not paying, or maybe you haven't got paid by somebody before. I had that happen once. Cost me fifteen hundred dollars. And it was hard not to have malice towards that person who I knew was lying. I knew they were. But they didn't care about that. They weren't a believer. But we as believers should not have malice towards others. We should not have a disposition of I don't want to see their good. I want to see every wrathful thing of God come upon them. No. I don't. Now, there are times you see in the book of Psalms, David had some psalms about, Lord, punish the wicked. Now, was he thinking about specific? I don't know. But that, they, they apparently aren't wrong. So the struggle for Christians is, Lord, how do we not have a heart of hatred towards someone, but a desire for justice? Righteousness. The glory of God. To think that's the thing with David. 
when he was speaking in that way, he was almost always saying, God, you are righteous. This is defaming your name. And if you think about the times that Jesus spoke out against the Pharisees, it was constantly a lack of glorifying God. A legalistic hypocrisy that sought to make them something and not God. And you know what the result of malice is? Well, there's two things. And I think Paul has them both here. Slander. Slander. Now, I warn you, if you put this out of your life, you might have to give up all Fox and CNN, uh, Daily Wire, um, I'm trying to think of other, BBC. You think of it, if they're a political commentator, slander is, that's the way to go. That's, I mean, even politicians, think about it. Even our, our last couple president, our current president, our, our previous president. Constantly slandering either one another or others who are different than them. You know what slander includes? Name calling. This is for my kids. <laughs> but we wonder why our world is so full of anger and, and discontentment, but when our political leaders are using nicknames to slander one another, it's no wonder our world is in uproar. You know, it's not easy to be the one slandered. Have you ever had somebody say things about you that weren't true? If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. (laughs) We've all had someone say something about us that was not true. And there's times we have to check ourselves. We don't realize we're slandering someone, but in reality we are. We don't realize because we have embraced gossip, for example. Gossip is a form of slander. Repeating something you don't know to be fact as though it's fact, that's slander. It may be true, but it could most likely not be true. Have you ever played the phone game? You know, you sit in a circle and uh, Joseph says something at the beginning and by the time he gets to Mr. Rezoric, it's like, what? Joseph's like, I didn't say that. No, so somebody distorted it, whether purposely or not. By the time it got back to the original speaker, it's become slanderous. You know, Joseph started out with, man, Mr. Lanham is so nice. By the end of it, it's like, Mr. Lanham loves to, well, I don't know. (laughs) 
I couldn't think of something not mean but nice. Yeah. So, but by the time you get to the end of the, the line, it's like, that's not even what I said. I actually said this. And that's why, you know, for myself, if I hear gossip, it's best to chase it down. Where did you hear that from? Who told you that? And then go to that person. Who told you that? Before long, people won't gossip to you anymore. Just so you know. I haven't heard a lot of gossip lately. (laughs) Uh, But if you chase down gossip, you will not be a slanderer. Now, Now, you could still slander out of malice for someone. Bitterness. Because of what someone said about you. Sometimes it's hard because you can't understand why they did what they did. And it makes you want to say things that maybe are true, but your heart is not to see them do well. It's to see others think badly of them. Have you ever had to, had to ask God to change your heart in that way? You wanted to repeat something that was true, but you repeated it not so that you could see good, but so that you could feel better about yourself. It's hard. But not only does malice lead to slander, but it also leads to abusive speech from your mouth. This word is translated abusive speech is like foul language. You really want to, that's what he's talking about. How many people on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, in the comments section, they just want to throw out a bunch of vulgarity? I disagree with you, so blah, 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 blankety, blank, blank, blank. Why? Because they have malice towards that person. They don't like that person, so they're just going to. It's, it's so common. Well, slander and, and foul language is so common in comments online. Why? Because people are much more willing to stand up for what they believe online, but if you confronted them in person, they would be the most cowardly person you've ever met. I know people like this. They, they have a great Facebook... Man, if you... If you, if you, does, if you uh, if you met them on Facebook, you'd be like, oh man, that, that guy's courageous and strong. And, but then you meet him in person, you're like, what? <laughs> this guy can't, can't even put a sentence together without cowering. The internet has emboldened people to be more outspoken and to spread malice. This is the thing that, that bothers me a lot about a lot of things that have happened since 2020. There's been such a move away from proper etiquette. It, I, I believe those things all have a basis way before, obviously. But now it's, it's accepted as that's just the norm. That's how we, 
We, we must be abrasive with one another. We must be, we have to yell at one another. It's not a debate anymore, it's just yelling past one another. I just think about the, the last few presidential, de- they call them debates, but they were really just yelling at one another. I was like, man, this reminds me of my kids. <laughs> They're not listening to one another. They're just yelling at one another. Name calling and, and that, that is not a Christian ideal. That is not. But the thing is, as believers, these things, whether we start with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, and then, and then come down to anger and wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, that is common in the world. That's what the world is like. Until Christianity came along, this was it. But when Christianity came, it transformed. It's interesting, you read in church history about the difference between the church and the world. It's incredible. There are multiple letters written as apologies. Now, back in the old days, apology was not saying, I'm sorry. An apology was an, an argument for the correctness of Christianity. And in those, these things here were different. There were actual statements, we don't share our wives. That was an actual statement in a letter. So apparently that was common. We don't do this. We don't do that. We're different. This should characterize the Christian life. We should be doing the the opposite. We should be sexually moral. We should be pure in heart. We should desire the things of God. We should eschew wealth and power as what we have to have. Not that we can't have some of those things, but that's not what we're seeking. We should seek to be joyful, giving, kind in our language. This this part about abusive speech it really bothers me. I have heard a lot of uh, pastors using abusive speech in sermons. It's common now. There's um, one famous guy is Mark Driscoll. I don't know if you know who he was, but he was a pastor in Seattle, and he didn't have an issue using vulgar language. And he was reformed, as they would say. Or we say, well, you know, I don't slander, I don't have abusive speech. What are you listening to? What are you watching? You think that you can watch a movie with... So just so you know, PG-13 means there's probably language in a movie. Did you know that? Like GD, Jesus, as a curse word. It's very rare. I mean, we... 
we have such a hard time finding movies anymore. It's like if it's G or PG, it might be possible. But even PG now has vulgarity in it sometimes. But what are we putting in? You know, if we're, if we're trying to put these things to death, but we're constantly feasting on these things, whether it's television, uh, what we're looking at during the day, that's not putting that to death. That's just giving opportunity. But that's not the last imperative of Paul. In verse 9, we have the third imperative. So first, be killing, be putting to death. Second, we had be putting off. And now finally, do not lie to one another. And this one's pretty clear that he's commanding this, right? Do not lie to one another. This was not common in Colossae before Christ. And this is so common in the world today. There's a certain business in town that I won't deal with certain people who work there because they have lied to me multiple times and to my customers. There's only one guy there that I'll work with because he's honest with me. It's amazing what people will lie about. I mean, just look at our kids. It's amazing the things that we're like, why? Why did you lie about that? I mean, you know, for our family, lying is one of the worst disciplines they get. Literally. Because we want them to be honest. But it's amazing. They know that they're going to get a good spanking, the maximum penalty... And yet they still will lie about, oh yeah, I I cleaned my room. Really? You go upstairs and you're like, "Uh, you do realize that your lie is easily found out in this case? (laughs) Or other thing is like, you could have just said no and I'm going to go get it taken care of. Like it's one little thing. Like I asked you to put... Your, your bowl in the sink, and you said, I did already, and I look at the kitchen table. Huh? <laughs> what in the world? You, you're you're going to lie over something you could go rectify and not get any, any discipline for. But the world is not much better. The things we'll lie about to protect our image or to make people think that we actually are being honest with them. This, this, this lying has become even more popular since 2020. How many of you have gone to a business and ordered something and they blamed it on COVID? Anyone? How many times do you think that was the truth and how many times do you think it was a lie? There are, there are legitimate... Like, so for example, I do, I've done a lot of stuff with windows, and the window industry, like, they could not get products, so it would take forever to get something. But how often did people use COVID? They were actually lying, but they, they were giving an excuse that they thought you would believe. 
It's easy as believers and in the world to justify a lie. Well, it's not going to hurt anything. It's just a little white lie. No. Paul said, do not lie. Be put to death lying. Don't, don't give place to sin. Yeah, it's not going to be popular if you tell your customer, I forgot to order that. Or I forgot to put that order in. That's my fault. I actually had to, <laughs> I had to do that with a customer. They were like, well, that guy didn't, never called me back. I'm like, uh, I forgot to tell him to call you. <laughs> They're like, oh. Thankfully, they were kind about it, but I could have just said, no, it's his fault. And just throw him under the bus. But as believers, we are called to a higher standard. Lying should not define us. We should be people of the truth. We say we love the truth, but if, if we say we love the truth and are not f- honest with one another and with the world, then they're going to say, well, wait, you, you say you love truth, but you, you tell your kids that Santa Claus is real. Hmm, that's a popular one, right? Or, or the, the tooth fairy. We've had to deal with that one with our kids because people who don't know us, oh yeah, if you put that tooth under your pillow, you'll get the tooth fairy will come and give you a coin. Like, no, that's, that's not real. <laughs> but, you know, you have to... It's no wonder kids don't believe their parents because their parents tell them lies from the, the day they're old. Old enough to understand. So as believers, we have to be honest with our kids. And sometimes that means asking forgiveness for overreacting, for anger, for saying something to them in a way that was not loving. I know none of you have d- dealt with that with your kids. You've never had an outburst. Uh, <laughs> but as believers, our lives should magnify Christ. So Paul gives two more reasons here to why we should not lie. He says, since... You laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You don't lie because you're not him anymore. The old man's gone. He's dead. This idea of laying aside is like putting off garments. You're putting off the old man. You're you're putting that to death. You're, You're not him anymore. Because you've done that, you don't lie to one another. And the second half of that is, verse 10, and have put on the new self. So we've put off the old. So it's, it's as though we took off our ragged garments, our sackcloth and ashes, and then we've put on a nice new suit. we put on the new man. And this new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge. This is a renewal to true knowledge. Not, not this fake knowledge that the Gnostics of, or the proto-Gnostics of, of Colossae are saying, oh, we have the real knowledge here. 
No, true knowledge. True knowledge from whom? According to the image of the one who created him. True knowledge that comes from God. A true knowledge that transforms. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? Right now, we see him in a mirror. But soon, we'll see him face to face. And we will be like him. Or Revelation. Or 1 John, actually, last, last week. We will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. We're being renewed by the image of of God. Right? Jesus is the image of the invisible. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms us. And we don't want to live in the flesh anymore. We desire to put to death. Yes, it's not easy. We desire to put off. Yes, it's not easy. But we have Christ with us. We desire to not lie anymore. Not easy. But because Christ is with us, we can be like Him. We are transformed by Him. And describes this renewal in verse 11. He says, a renewal in which there is no distinction. What is a distinction? Difference. This renewal will transform each and every one of us here today and every believer around the world to be like Jesus. Does that mean we're all going to look the same? Do we all need to come in next week in our, in our Quaker suits? No, that's not what he's saying. No, he, he goes on to describe, he says, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew. So there's no, there's no difference between races. Now this, you know, BLM doesn't agree with this. Circumcised and uncircumcised doesn't matter how you were born and how you were raised. Barbarian and Scythian doesn't matter how smart you are. The barbarians, so if you think about this, the Jews and the Greeks, the Greeks, the Jews didn't like the Greeks, right? They weren't they were Gentiles, the Greeks were. Gentiles couldn't be a part of the kingdom. So Paul's saying there, you think, yeah, there's no distinction. God doesn't choose. When you are His, doesn't make a difference. Doesn't matter if you were born Greek or Jew. Paul's saying, look, I love Timothy. He wasn't a Jew by birth. doesn't matter if you follow the, the tradition of the Jewish faith. Because it's very likely that here in Colossae they're dealing with 
um, circumcision and uncircumcision as well in this false teaching. And then when he gets to barbarian Scythian, so barbarians were the Jews. So the way that Jews looked at the Greeks and all Gentiles is the way that Greeks and Romans looked at barbarians. Barbarians were uncouth, um, un, un, unintellectually just ignorant people. That's how they looked at them. If you're a barbarian, you you know you were you were from the Dark Ages. You, you lived in a cave. You weren't intellectually smart. Most barbarians were... This idea of barbarian also related to language. You, you speak an unintelligible tongue. You don't speak Greek or Latin, so... You're nothing. We can't understand you. Your language isn't worth learning because you're all barbarians. I mean, we, use it, we even use that word today to describe somebody. We use barbarous to describe someone who does something incomprehensible. But Scythians were even worse. They were like, the worst of the barbarians. They were so ignorant and, and, for lack of a better word, stupid, that no one... They, they were like the butt of every joke. You, you go into a, a Greek bar or a Roman bar, they, they were telling jokes about these people. So Paul's saying, not only does it matter, it doesn't matter whether you're what ethnicity you came from. It doesn't matter what religion you came from. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are or how smart you aren't. And then his last thing is slave and free man. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're free. Those distinctions don't mean a thing. Because Christ is all and in all. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, He comes in to dwell with you. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the education you have. You are His. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if you go to a seminary or if you barely pass the first grade. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because He is in you and living through you, one day you will look like Him, whether you went to seminary or not. Does that mean I'm, I dislike the fact that I went? No, I, I enjoyed it. But I can't go down and, and talk to the miner in West Virginia and treat him as less than me just because he did that his whole life. If he loves Jesus then it doesn't matter. I shouldn't choose who I want to see come to Jesus because of their intellectual acumen or the color of their skin or their place in society. That does not matter. When it comes to Jesus Christ, we all have equal access through the blood. And this right here 
is an obliteration of all the false teaching that's going around in our country today. All the critical race theory, all these, um, the BLM movement, that all is seeking to divide, not to unite. The gospel of Jesus Christ will unite all men, no matter where they live or where they're from. There are poor people in Guatemala who love the Lord just as much as I do. Our physical wealth does not make us any better a follower of Jesus. J.B. Lightfoot said this, he says, Christ has dispossessed and obliterated all distinctions of religious prerogative an intellectual preeminence, and social caste. Christ has substituted himself for all these. Christ occupies the whole sphere of human life and permeates all its developments. This is Jesus. He has obliterated the difference. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be some cultural differences. You know, if I go hang out at the Latino church, I better show up about a half hour late. It's just the way it is. Time is not the same. And when we lived in Guatemala, I used to get mad. I'd be like, why are you having a service at 7 o'clock, but no one shows up till like 7.30 or 8? And finally, the pastor told me, just show up late. Like, but that's against my, my religion. <laughs> But that's how it is. It's a cultural thing. Time is not as important. So it's easier not to get angry. <laughs> Going back to what we've been talking about, it's easier not to get angry just to say, you know what? Time is a traditional thing, not a, a God thing. But as believers... We have freedom. We can actually put to death the things of this world. Because we're in Christ. We've already died to the world. And he's saying, put it to death. Don't give it place in your life. Put it off. Don't, don't make provision for it. So the question is, will we be killing sin or will it be killing us? Because it doesn't go, there's no neutral ground. You give place to sin, it's like yeast. It'll infect you all the way through. It's like a cancer. You don't kill sin. It will infect every member, every part of your body. Be serious about killing sin in your lives because the devil knows that if he can get you to believe that there's some other way than this then he can destroy you that's why this heresy is so big of a problem in Colossian for the church there because the devil's trying to convince them that there's another way an easier way but through the blood of Christ we have access no matter where we came from 
to the throne of grace. We have access to put to death the things of this flesh. Not in a legalistic way, but through the power of Christ who lives in us. To put off the old man and put on the new. And to put away lying. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be about your kingdom. Realize, Lord, the power of sin. But to remember that in Christ we have overcome. That when we died with Christ, we died to the things of this world. And we can be putting to death the things that run our world. Let us not be like the world, but like you. Give us courage, Lord, to take steps to put to death the things of this world in our lives. Whether that means getting rid of something. Or taking something out of our lives that is promoting sin. You know, Lord, what it is that we need. I pray you would give us courage. And Lord, let us be a light to this world. Showing them that in Christ we are one. That Christ has done away with distinctions because we're His sons. We praise You, Lord, for this, and we trust that You'll be with us this week and You'll be guiding us and giving us courage to fight sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.